My name's Lou Blazer, and you're listening to Second Breaks, the show where we talk about transitions, second acts, and third acts, and next chapters, and how we can not only navigate these changes without pulling our hairs, but actually thrive through them. My background is I'm a physician. I trained in internal medicine and I got to a point where I thought I got everything that I wanted in terms of success and what it looked like. And you talked about this in a recent episode too, about how our definition of success evolves. And then, so I was like, is this it? Is, is this all that there is? And I wanted to make more of an impact. And so I went back into training for hospice and palliative care, which takes care of seriously ill and terminally ill patients. And through my experiences caring for these patients who are sick, very sick and dying, I started to see patterns where people would say certain things on their deathbeds. Things like, I regret this, oh, I wish I would have done that, or I'm so happy that I did this. And so it's through those experiences that I was like, you know what, I can't really make a lot of change for these people right now because for many of them, their time was getting very, very short. What if I could just take those lessons, take everything that these people have taught me and told me and just bring them upstream 20, 30, 40 years earlier and share them with people so that maybe when they do get to see me on their deathbeds that, you know, they won't have as many regrets. That was Kathy Zhang, a hospice palliative care doctor, certified life coach and hypnotist, and host of the Purpose Filter podcast, the show that shares deathbed wisdom and actionable shortcuts to live a full life. Kathy's mission is to share the lessons of the dying, to help us focus on what's truly important so we can create better, happier, and more meaningful lives while we still have the time to enjoy them. Now, I got to know Kathy through LinkedIn, where her tagline is deathbed wisdom for a happier life. And that's actually what you heard her talk about in the intro there. She was explaining how that tagline came about, where it came from. You know, the thing when we say, at the end of the day, will this really matter? Well, Kathy's work gives her a unique perspective on what truly matters at the quote-unquote, end of the day. And that's why I asked her to join me here on the show at this time of the year when we are setting our priorities and goals and listing the things that we want to pursue. I think that what we talked about in this episode are just brilliant reminders about what truly matters. And they're just great guidelines for where we might really want to focus our energy. I know this is the kind of episode that I I'm going to want to pin and listen to every now and again. And I have a suspicion that you're going to want to do the same thing. Okie dokie, let me get out of the way. Here's my conversation with Dr. Kathy Zhang. There's a very, I think she was a nurse. There's a famous, I think it's a book or an article that came out a, a few years ago along the same lines or similar sort of sentiments. Um, But I've always wondered whether it is common or it is true that as we get closer to our final destination, (laughs) that we start thinking about 
regrets or what ifs or should I have done this so that's actually what you see so people actually we tend to go there we tend to reflect on what ifs and regrets Absolutely. I mean, it's actually one of the things that people go to first. And so also what you mentioned too was um, about the regrets mm -hmm. of the dying is a hospice nurse named Bronnie Ware who published a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Basically, I think there, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the one others wanted of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. And I wish I had let myself be happier. And so if you notice about all of these, the common thread is connection. It's either connection to self or connection to others. Right. Like I wish I had, you know, let myself be more of who I am. I wish I had, you know, kept up with my friends and family instead of letting, you know, silly squabbles tear us apart. And when people have their lives threatened, which is probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest thing that can happen to most people, that causes a profound change and shift in their perspective. And it makes them think about their lives differently. And then they behave differently because of that shift. It's not necessarily that people are any different, you know, like it's not necessarily that like someone you love dies and then you acquire all the skills you need to be able to do like what you've always wanted to do. It's just that unfortunately that event was so emotionally you know, charged, painful, that it made you be like, oh my God, I have, something's got to give, so I have to change something, like this can't go on. So the person who has experienced the near death experience, for example, it's a crucial moment for that person, but also for the people around them who, like the family and loved ones of that person or somebody who died or somebody in your life has died could also have that impact on you to think differently, hopefully also act differently. Yeah. I mean, I talk about pattern interrupts with my clients all the time because I'm also a coach and a hypnotist, right? So like when we get into the habit of doing certain things or like you go to work, you come home that like just, you know, you're just kind of going around the merry-go-round. We need some sort of pattern interrupt to be able to be like, Hey, you know, do something different. And sometimes that could be us deciding like, I'm going to you know, lose the weight I've always wanted to lose. And we start a, a fitness plan, or that could be something as unexpected and tragic as getting sick, as losing someone you love, you know, that sort of thing, an accident. And so it's a, it's a pattern interrupt. And the better that we can prepare ourselves for those inevitabilities, those unexpected challenges that life is going to throw at us, right? Even behind you, like you have the memento mori yes. <laughs> thing, yeah. like, mm -hmm. like we, death is inevitable, right? For now, we haven't found a way to not die. And how do we live a life that makes us feel like we're doing great, that we're happy, that we're fulfilled and it's meaningful knowing that one day, hopefully not anytime soon, 
that, you know, this physical life that we have is not going to be here anymore. I love that phrase, pattern interrupt. It was going to take me to a different direction, but I was just thinking how pattern interrupts can come from positive events, but oh so often it comes from tragic and negative events, right? It's like the diagnosis that you hear or somebody you know has been diagnosed or is dying. And it's it's those kinds of stuff that interrupts our way of thinking and our way of being. Unfortunately, like I said, it's the, it's the tragic events, it's the negative events that trigger those moments of change in us. Um, I'm going to ask you about a recent LinkedIn post, um, which I'm going to put the link I'm going to put on the show notes, but I'm going to ask you about that shortly. I just want to ask one more thing because you mentioned, um, the, the theme around the nurse, uh, the nurse's observations were about, uh, connection. I wondered whether in your conversations with people in your work or through your podcast that you also hear a lot of fears or fear having been a factor in people not doing something or being something. Do you hear fear a lot come into? Absolutely. Yes. Fear is a huge, huge factor in people's regrets in what they say that they wish they would have done. I hear the term, I wish a lot. I wish. I wish I had done this. Uh, I wish I wasn't so afraid of other people's judgments because otherwise I would have done something different. You know, I maybe would have pursued a different career. I would have, you know, been more of myself, you know, all of these things. Fear is a huge, huge component because you know, we're humans. We want to be accepted. We want to be liked. We, you know, it's biological. If we were not accepted by the clan, by the group, then we risked not eating. Um, we risked, you know, not having connection and love. And that meant the risk of death. And so, of course, if there's the risk of death, why would we then put ourselves in that position? Even if now logically we're like, oh, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, like write a book or I'm just trying to, you know, start a business, whatever it is, it doesn't seem like it would be life-threatening cognitively. But deep down, unconsciously, it feels like, oh my God, I'm going to die. And that's why people don't do the things that they feel that they want to do inside. And sometimes, you know, that's the thing about what I'm trying to do is that it doesn't have to take you getting sick, you losing someone to then have the perspective to be like, you know what, maybe I can change. Maybe I can think differently. Maybe I can just try something new now instead of waiting until an event like that happens in my life. Yeah. You mentioned the word time there because I think that's also a factor. And I know, I know this about myself. That's one of the reasons why I have Memento Mori behind me is that I always think there's more time. I have time. You know, there's, there's, there's tomorrow, there's next week, there's next year to, and then you delay, you postpone the thing that I say that I want to do, that I really want to experience. And because, you know, I have time, but the reality is we don't know when our time is going to be up and. Like I said, it's a personal reminder for me because I tend to delay or postpone because urgent things, because 
so many obligations, so many to-dos, right? And I wondered how, you know, the people that you've encountered with, how uh, the concept of time has come into the reflections or in your conversation? It's a brilliant question, Lou, because I'll just say this. I do this for a living and I do the same as you, right? Like I still push things off. I still procrastinate. <laughs> I'm still like, I've, I can do that tomorrow or next year, yeah. right? But I see this every day. <laughs> I have time. Right, I have time, <laughs> yes. I, you know, and it's, um, and so you're not alone. And, you know, even someone like me who is exposed to this all the time, it still happens because we kind of have to have a healthy disassociation from death in a way, right? Like, it, it yes. can't always be on the forefront of our minds. Otherwise, we'd never get out of bed and we would never go to work and do things. Um, and I understand that completely. <laughs> and I think the more intentional we can be of reminding ourselves that like, mm, if I were diagnosed with a terminal illness, and I only had six months to live a year to live, like, how would I be approaching this thing that I'm hesitating on differently? I think that's a really mm. important question for us to routinely ask ourselves, maybe it doesn't have to be every day, because you know, things happen, and we still have to mm -hmm. deal with life. But the more often we can do that, I think the more we will feel like we are on track and making progress towards the things that matter to us. And I think that's when patients talk about time. It's they want to spend time on the things that are important to them. And every person is different. Right. Some people are like, it doesn't matter what you like. I'll, I'll take all the treatments. I don't care how it makes me feel. Like, I don't care if I have to be in the hospital. That's important to me. I want to do that. And we're like, cool. Okay. And other people are like, no, the quality of my life matters more and than the time that I have on this earth. And so I think it's really about everyone's values and how they can change their life to meet those values. I love that. I want to just reflect on that myself personally. Um, and like I said, for personal reasons, I have to repeat that to myself over and over because I tend to lose track of my priorities because, again, urgent things. <laughs> not alone. You're not alone. Um, so, which is a great segue, actually, to uh, one of the things I really wanted to have a chat with you today. So, there was a, a LinkedIn post that you posted or that you had recently. This episode's going to go out in January. So, uh, it's the time of the year when, you know, we're thinking about goals, we're thinking about the year ahead. And I thought that these messages are so uh, important or poignant or just beautiful reminders as we set about our goals for the year or what we're wanting to focus on the year. They're just five points, but they're just brilliant, um, very significant points, if you don't mind walking us through yes, them. Yes, let's do it. So the first one has to do with, it says 98% of the things you're worried about right now won't matter in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just mentioned the word urgency, right? Things come up, emails, like, you know, someone knocks on your door, like whatever it is, notifications on your phone, everything feels very urgent. And we have to then sort out for ourselves just because it's urgent. Does it also mean that it's important, right? Urgent and important. Great. Let's tackle that first. There's a lot of um, rubrics out there about like, 
deciding what's urgent, what's important, and what's mm-hmm. not urgent right. and not important, and then prioritizing that way. And when people are lying there on their deathbeds, when I'm talking to them, when I'm asking them, what have you noticed about your life? Like, what's really important? You know, like, they don't say, uh, you know, oh, my phone died and, like, yeah, I had to, like, you know, get a new phone. It was such a big hassle. Like, you know, they don't say those things. And when we experience them, we feel like it's a really big deal. And so it's just a reminder to step back and to think like in the long run, 10 years, 20 years, when I'm on, when I'm dying, is this really going to matter as much as I think it matters right now? That's so important. Like, like the annoyances that, like, there's so many things that can annoy us on a day to day basis. And we could spend so much energy, um, being annoyed at the neighbor, being annoyed at the waiter, being annoyed at your boy, being annoyed at, you know, whatever it is. And it can eat up our energy and our mind. And our, I know some people who would ruminate for days, not just hours about the thing that annoyed them. At the end of the day, it's like, it's, re- is that really? important? Will you remember that annoying thing that the neighbor did? Yeah. And you, yeah. and you know, you say ruminating, and I think that's such a perfect word. And I'm not saying this to be like, what you're feeling right now in the moment doesn't matter. That's very different. It obviously, you know, your emotions matter. And it's the perseveration on that, that causes us to suffer, right? Like if I'm mad that someone cut me off in traffic, like two days later, they don't know, right? Like they don't care. I'm the one who's still pissed, right? And so like, why do we do this to ourselves? Actually on that point, and this is a a segue, but it's related to the thing that we're talking about. People say that, you know, um, it's important to vent, but I always thought that venting, like at the in the moment, for example, I'm annoyed at the driver, so I vent. But then, if I keep repeating that, like the story over and over, that's not venting anymore, right? I've crossed over to something else. Yes, it's a really great distinction, and something that I talk to my clients about a lot because of the way that the brain works, right? If you really think about emotions, like if we just allow ourselves to get angry or to cry or to just release the emotion, for the most part, we generally feel like most people feel better after a good cry, right? If the, mm-hmm. Especially if they've been holding it in. And so releasing that pent up emotion is really helpful for us. And if we continue to, like you said, go down that loop of reinforcing that, then it becomes like a, a groove in our brain almost, right? It like the more that we think something, the stronger and faster the neural signals in our brain become. And then it starts becoming like almost like a habit, a thought habit in a sense. So it's really important to notice that and to be able to be like, oh, wait, 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 I, I, I'm like perseverating on this. Maybe I should do something different, right? Exactly. That's a good point. All right. Well, this one is near and dear to my heart because I tend to be a, you know, a workaholic. But <laughs> the second point is you think it's just one more hour at the office. Um, could you talk a little bit about this? Because like I said, I tend to be 
I tend to be that person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's society in general, right? Um, I think it was like you te- you think it's one more hour at the office, but it's like a lifetime of regret uh, for choosing work over family. And I think everyone really identifies with what they do for work. I am a doctor, I am a podcaster, I am a whatever. And then Mm -hmm. when we say I am instead of I do this for work, then we feel the need to like work really hard at maintaining our identity, right? And so Mm -hmm. like I saw this in the pandemic and especially for me, like I identified so much as a physician. And so when everything like blew up with patients and you know, people dying everywhere and all this stuff, then my mental health collapsed because I was like, oh, I'm a physician. I should be able to handle this. And I should be a professional and I shouldn't be crying all the time. And, you know, I blah, blah, blah. And so I think when we identify so strongly with our occupation and what we do or any role that we feel we have in life, when something threatens that role, you know, if we don't have good foundations of support elsewhere, then we kind of crumble. And so I think in many, many ways, people want to work harder, one, because culture and society tell us that that's how we succeed. And two, because we think if I work harder, then I'll be worthy of being a lawyer, a dentist, a post office worker, you know, a parent, whatever it is. And so I think in a way, we just need to have balance, right? We can't work all the time. We're human beings outside of work as well. So let's try to find some time to dedicate to that aspect of our lives too. I mean, obviously, there are many reasons why people spend a lot of hours at work, right? Some of them is because they have to for financial reasons. They have to, you know, work all the time to earn the money um, to make a living. Outside of that, there are other reasons as well. I know for myself, because I mean, identity, which is what you just talked about. It's just my sense of self is in the office, what I do for work. But also there's this sense in, in my case of in the office, in the work that I do, I feel progress. I feel a sense of accomplishment. Whereas if you just, if I was about to say just, which is not the right sentiment, but when you're spending time with family or spending time with friends or, you know, outside of work, I'm going to personalize this. I lose that sense of achievement or accomplishment because what is to accomplish outside of work, which is a total mindset shift that I need to make. Because of course there are, it's a different kind of accomplishment. It's a different kind of, of thing. Although one might say, well, why do you have to achieve all the time? But <laughs> but that's where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the day, I, what the word that comes to mind with all this is just being present is presence, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's presence, it's balance, it's being like, you know, I'm still worthy, even if I don't achieve. And I think that, ha, that's right, Right. like, I can, I'm still lovable, even if I am not, quote, unquote, successful in my own eyes, Mm -hmm. and I can enjoy Mm -hmm. my life, my time, and spend time with the people that I love. Um, and mm-hmm. I recently, I posted something like, it was like, spend your, what was it? I think I said your job, 
your work isn't going to um, show up at your funeral, but so spend more time with people (laughs) who will. And I think a lot of people took it as like, oh, you're just telling us to like not work. And I was like, that, I mean, okay, that wasn't the sentiment exactly. But, you know, the, yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes, just as a segue, I, I, you know, I get that sometimes it's like a literal sort of like um, interpretation or a very narrow interpretation of what we say, right? Yeah. (laughs) Which actually, this is very related to the next point, um, which is about our relationship with material things or things that we own and accumulate and can call ours. Um, and I think your point was that we can't take anything with us. Yeah. And again, I think on your recent episode, um, you talked about how when people, you know, kind of get to a certain age or a certain point in their life, they think differently about material th- items. Um, and I know I was obsessed with, you know, looking a certain way or having the quote unquote right bag that you know, someone could yes. then be like, oh my God, she must make a lot of money or blah, 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 blah. And I got really caught up in that. And I think everyone does. And none of that comes with us. You know, like our worldly possessions, when people die, they leave behind everything. The only mm-hmm. thing that really is lasting is people's memories of us and maybe the impact and legacy that we have in the world, right? You know, that's been a really big shift for me, for a lot of um, people who I think do the work that I do in hospice and palliative care to be like, okay, let's spend more time, money, energy on experiences, travel, Mm. on time spent with family and friends, you know, instead of being like, I'm going to buy this you know, thing for this amount of money and just be happy that I have it, which is not bad. I think material things can give us happiness in some way or another. And, you know, so can experiences. We talked about pattern interrupt earlier. And so I'm just going to share a a specific experience of mine that has nothing to do with death or dying or sickness, but was a huge pattern interrupt associated with this. So about three or four years ago, I made a decision. This was prior to the pandemic uh, because my mom had dementia. She passed away a few months ago, but she had dementia. And I had decided that, you know, the work that I do right now, I can, you know, I can live wherever. As long as I have internet, I can do the work. So I decided, you know, I'm going to take advantage of this uh, location independence that I have and spend some time with my mom. That's when I made the decision to live part of the year in Asia and live part of the year in the US. And because of that decision, I sold my condo in Florida. And I decided, because I was going to do this back and forth, that I would downsize. And my goal was not to put anything on storage. Either I was going to take it with me or I was going to sell it, dispose of it, donate or something, but nothing is going to go on storage because otherwise everything would just go on storage. So, um, and my, my, my mental model was that if I had an RV, it would just have to fit in an RV. Like that was what I was keeping. And oh my Lord, Kathy, I'm telling you, I'm looking at my closet. I'm saying, 
How many pairs of black pants do I need? Why do I have these dozens and dozens of the same looking pants or purses and shoes? Like all these material、yes. things that I have accumulated and bought that, like. I they some of them had stories behind them, like it meant something that I could own、mm-hmm. this, or that I was able to afford this, or that I had these many shoes. Or, but at the end of the day, like what I don't need these many things. You know, I even then I never needed them because I was looking at some pairs of shoes and like how many times did I wear this pair of shoes? And so. Huge pattern interrupt. Like that moment in time made me shift my thinking about you know what I would acquire, what I would buy going forward, what would mean something for me. It, it's less about money savings as as opposed to does this really does this really mean anything at the end of the day? Is this really where I want to put you know? Because there's energy associated with that, with the purchasing of that, with the maintaining of that, with the keeping of that. But yeah, so I just wanted to share that pattern interrupts can happen that have nothing to do with tragic events. Yes, <laughs> and I'm sorry about your mom. And you know, like you、mm-hmm. said, like everything, I, I very much believe in energy, and you know. Japanese decluttering, that sort of thing, like they、mm-hmm. attribute inanimate objects having energy too, right? And so that makes a lot of sense. Why so many people feel very different after they've decluttered, after they've really taken a look、mm-hmm. at their closet. Mm-hmm. I it's so funny during that experience. A lot more than two people have、uh, suggested to me that rather than doing that drastic thing, that I should just like put everything on storage. Uh, and then I say, you know what? I know a lot of people, enough people in my life who have storage, pay for storage is monthly, don't ev- even remember what they have in storage. They just maintaining that storage for you know to store stuff that they forgotten, that they had forgotten already. But we hold on to these things. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah again exactly. It's intention. It's all about intention. Right, right. All right. So the fourth point. Oh, this is the thing. This is the thing that's related to what we were talking about earlier about waiting for the perfect time. Can you talk a little bit about this, Kathy?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was something along the lines of like, if you wait for the perfect time, you'll eventually run out of it, or something like that, right? And I mean, wh- who better who better to tell you that message than someone who talks to Dying people for a living, right? Because it's so unexpected. Like literally, I had a friend of mine who、um, was just on the beach with her family on a vacation, and she was watching these three women who were, I guess, also there at the beach, walking, having a great time. And all of a sudden, one of them just collapsed, collapsed on the beach. And you know, this friend of mine is a physician, and she. Was watching her. Was like, oh, t- did she just like trip or something? But it turns out that she went over, checked her, no pulse, no heartbeat. Like, did CPR, all this stuff, and she, you know, they tried to revive her, got her to the hospital, I think, and she died. She was thirty seven. I'm turning thirty seven in a month, right? And just to go back to,、um, like, the what you were saying about. Having death on the forefront and like procrastinating, even for me, that was like, oh my god, I I need to wake up a little bit, right? That could be me. That could be any one of us. I have patients who are nineteen, who are babies, who are toddlers. I have patients who are a hundred and four. It 
you know, things happen and no one wants them to happen. And I am not saying that it will happen and none of us know when it'll happen to us. And so at some point, if you keep waiting, you'll just run out of time. And so, you know, just do something small, take the next smallest step. Instead of being like, I'm going to lose a hundred pounds, like maybe start with one pound, right? I'm going to write, you know, a hundred pages, start with one word, one line, messy action beats trying to be perfect and thinking about it for the rest of your life. Exactly. I mean, for example, in my case, I, I talk a lot these days because I'm, I am writing a book about retirement. And so I, I have a, a lot, a lot of uh, conversations around the topic these days. And I know that so many people also have this tendency of postponing whatever it is that they think that they want to do or will the enjoyment of their lives or whatever it is until after retirement thinking that they will have more time or energy, more whatever it is after retirement. But the reality is it's not the case. Um, so they'll hit that retirement point and there'll be other things that will occupy their minds. And this thing that they've always wanted to do or whatever it is, they still don't have the time. I know somebody who said for years he was going to write his great American novel after retirement. He's been retired now for three years. Not a word has been written about this great American novel. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because other things have occupied his time or whatever it is. But to your point, it's it's just do the smallest step. It doesn't have to be a huge, perfect step, but, he, you know, the smallest step towards. And I mean, obviously, uh, Second Breaks, as you know, is a, a podcast for midlifers. I, this is something I always say all the time as well to listeners is that, you know, we're at the second half of our lives. So, you know, if that very famous line of whoever it is I, who said it, I, I can't forget. But if not now, when exactly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when exactly? And if I may tell a story because of what you brought up with retirement for your audience, too, who are, you know, in the second half of their lives. I was on a trip recently and I went to this, you know, we bought tickets for like this um house dinner. So it's like some woman, she, you know, hosts just like random tourists and then everyone has a really good time. It was in Rome and Italy. And I met this woman who uh I was like, oh, how long are you here for? She's like, just one night. I was like, where'd you come from? She says, Dallas, Texas. I was like, you flew overnight from Dallas, Texas to Rome for one night and you're going back. And she's like, yeah. Turns out she was the airline pilot, which makes a lot of sense now. Um, but, <laughs> she, you know, she and we were talking because uh, we were getting to know each other all. And I was like, uh, not a lot of people do that. What made you decide to mm-hmm. do this? You know, and not necessarily being an airline pilot, but having the 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 decision to be like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go. And she said when she was young, her mom had this binder that she would put clippings and, you know, photos of her house that she would build, her dream home that she would build once she got retired, right? And she had this huge binder. She put all this stuff in it, blah, blah, blah. And when she retired, she built the home. And then she was like, my mom died at age 67. She lived in that home for less than a year. For her entire life, she like had this dream of trying to make this happen. And then she barely got to live in it for a year. And it just is so tragic to me that we keep delaying these, you know, potentially 
big events that could ca- bring us so much happiness because we think that we're going to live until a hundred. Like, wh- why not start now? Why not try to, you know, make arrangements and make plans to start now? Oh my goodness. I just love her that, I mean, obviously the sad story of her mom, but that, that she's, the effect on her is that she's taking every moment, just, just taking advantage. And she's probably thinking, well, I've always wanted to go to Rome. So I only have a night. So I'll just, and I'm able to. So I'm just going to go. Yeah. And she just went. I love she just that. showed up. And I was like, you know, like that's her, that's how she lives her life now because of yeah. what her mom went through. I, I, I can think of so many moments where I could have, but I didn't because it's not perfect timing or it's not the right time or it's not perfect yet or I'm not ready or whatever it is, or I haven't lost 10 pounds, so I can't do that yet. But like, yeah, oh my goodness, just do, just do it now. If you have the time and you can afford it, or you could do maybe not the big thing, but the smaller version of it, just do Mm -hmm. it. Yes. Yes. I love that. I think I'm going to have to uh, repeat this episode or, or, or listen to this episode over and over for myself. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> As Me a too. reminder of what I need to do. Uh, and then the fifth one, speaking of something that we need to remind ourselves all the time, is about wellness. So if we do not spend time on our wellness, we will be forced to tend to our illness. Oh my goodness. So profound. Can you talk a little bit about mm-hmm. this? I mean... That's not my quote. I think I saw it from somewhere, but I don't remember. Um, I, I couldn't find like an attribution for it. But basically, you know, I'm a physician, right? So, and let's be honest, physicians and other healthcare workers generally make the worst patients. I, you know, um, and, you know, we know that like we have to take care of ourselves, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. In palliative care and hospice, we talk about treating the whole patient. And so we ask questions Mm -hmm. that I never asked when I was um, working in internal medicine. I would only ask about their physical symptoms. Now I ask like, do you have a spiritual practice? Are you religious? Now I ask, you know, what is your family support like? How do you tend to your mental health? Because that's all part of it. And if we don't intentionally, actively address that, then it's going to catch up to us. And it's caught up to me in the past. Yeah. And I was in a very deep, dark hole because of it. And I don't want anyone else to have to go through that because it was awful. Yeah. It was awful. I love how you address that, Kathy, because I think we focus a lot on the physical elements of our well-being and especially for midlifers that, you know, these days it's always about being healthy, keeping ourselves healthy so that we can actually enjoy the longer life that we're, everybody's saying that, you know, it's the longevity being the, the big gain in medical technology. But the, the key is how do we actually live that longer life in a healthy way? But uh, physical well-being is just one element of well-being, but there's other elements. It's mental health being one of them, which is also, funnily enough, I've also had a conversation with a brain specialist a few uh, months ago, and 
our mental well-being also has an impact on the health of our brain, which goes into the physical elements and stuff. And it, you know, they're all sort of interrelated. The the, the stress that we feel uh, that could be a mental health, uh, mental well-being sort of thing, also impacts our. Phys- oh my, you're a physician. Why am I telling you? <laughs> No, you're telling your audience. They're all sort of like interrelated, right? Like what's happening inside our body, they're all interrelated. And so it's important that we pay attention to, 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 to all those aspects, to all those elements. Mm -hmm. How do we not get overwhelmed though, Kathy? Because it sounds overwhelming that we have to pay attention to all these things. Mm, It's a excellent question. And I think when I think about that, I think about why it feels overwhelming. And for the most part, it's because it seems too big and too daunting, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. but then if we just be like, all right, well, let's say I have this big, big goal of, I don't know, becoming like a a millionaire. It -hmm. seems really overwhelming, but then it's like, okay, well, how much money do I need to make over how much time then maybe it's a little bit more doable instead of being like, I'm going to be a millionaire. And it's like, well, I have zero dollars right now. How am I going to do that? Right. What helps really with overwhelm is knowing how our bodies react when we are overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. knowing how, you know, like for many of my clients, I teach them different techniques and ways that they can use in the moment. So the most important thing is that when you are overwhelmed, you're anxious in the moment is to, again, I guess the theme of this episode is pattern interrupt, right? Is to interrupt that pattern because you're in a loop of anxiety or overwhelm or frustration or fear. But if you interrupt that with, let's say, some deep breathing, if you get up and go for a walk, or if you do something to stop that, then that impulse, that kind of neural network will quiet down and sometimes can even just collapse entirely if you do it enough. And it doesn't take very long. And that's how we can help manage our own emotions. That's how we can help manage ourselves so that when challenges come up, when we get stressed, when overwhelm comes, we're like, okay, I maybe don't know how to deal with this situation, but I know how to calm myself down. There you go. Right? Right. Yeah. I've had conversations with people, for example, who say, well, you know, um, I don't have time or I don't have the resources to go to a therapist or whatever, but it doesn't always have, we can start with small, like, for example, the examples that you gave, right? It doesn't, yes, it doesn't replace the talking to a professional or getting the help of a professional, but if you could at least figure out your own way of calming yourself down, a short walk, whatever it is, then at least you're able to help yourself. Same thing with, you know, I've never been very athletic in my whole life, but I've also known a few people who, they say to me, they're 50 years old, and they've never exercised, and now they're being told that they have to exercise, you know, that kind of stuff. And you know, but we can start small. We can start with walking. We can start walking around the block. And it doesn't have to be, you know, that uh, gym-going person overnight. Yeah. 
because that's when you feel overwhelmed and that's when you feel like, I can't do this, I'm too old for this, or it's too late for me, or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. One of my favorite um, uh, examples is from the author James Clear. He wrote the book Atomic Habits, which mm. is excellent. Mm. I love it. And it's basically like small habits make big changes. And he said um, one of his mm. readers lost 75 pounds by going to the gym for five minutes a day right? Just going to the gym five minutes a day to start because in order to lose that much weight, you have to consistently get yourself to the gym. So he would literally drive to the gym, mm -hmm. do one exercise, leave, drive home. And, you know, it took him weeks to then be like, all right, uh, now I'm in the habit of going to the gym. And so, you know, like I, anyone can drive to the gym for and be there for five minutes, right? Then it doesn't seem so overwhelming. Then it's like, okay, I could do this. And then we get the dopamine hit of like, oh, I can do this. It's not so hard. I, maybe I could keep doing this, you know? I love that. Well, Kathy, this has been a fantastic conversation. I love this chat. I have to invite you again to have more chats like this. Um, can you tell people uh, where we can find you online? Yes, and absolutely. I'd love to be back. Thank you again for having me on just today. Um, you can find me. I'm on Instagram at Purpose Filter. My podcast is called The Purpose Filter. I'm on LinkedIn, which, uh, you know, you can find the link in the show notes. I'm under Dr. Kathy Zhang. And mm -hmm. um, my website is louiskathyzhang.com. I should probably centralize all of those, but you know what? It is what it is. Imperfect, messy action beats being perfect. So exactly. Yeah. One last thing before you go, I've been asking the, these questions lately of my guests. What does joy mean to you these days? And how, uh, what gives you joy? Mm, I love this question. And I think it's wonderful that you are intentionally asking people to remind themselves that, you know, there is joy among us. What brings me joy is like feeling like I am doing what I'm meant to do in a sense, you know, like mm -hmm. that I am doing to the best of my ability what I feel like my unique gifts are. And I think everyone has new unique gifts and they're different for each person. And I just want to continue to do that to help people live a better life, however, whatever that means for them. Joy is, gosh, joy is the little things. Joy is waking up in the morning and spending time with my family and spending time with my friends and experiences. I want to thank Kathy again for sharing her experiences and insight with us. You'll find all the links to her website and her social media accounts, as well as some highlights of this episode on the show notes at secondbreaks.com. Now, if the topic of living a more fulfilling and happier life in your middle age interests you, then I invite you to check out Midlife Cues, a weekly newsletter that I write for midlifers who aren't done getting better and who believe that they are always works in progress because we are. <laughs> Midlife Cues offer bite-sized ideas, information, and resources for intentional living and personal growth. And I write it specifically for busy 
uh, midlifers. So it's short and brief essays on Sundays. Check it out at midlifecues.com. That's midlife, C-U-E-S, one word, dot com. Thank you, my dear listener friend, for joining me today. I'll be back with a new episode in a couple weeks. Until then, keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans. Cool beans.